My next guest I had the privilege to sit down with is a spiritual care practitioner, a writer, and the co-host of Faith from the Margins podcast. Um, My guest joined me virtually all the way from Chile. Uh, We discussed in this episode spirituality, faith, community, and masculinity. And we also discussed how folks who are a part of the LGBT community and would love to be in touch with faith and religion and spirituality more, but were forced out maybe by childhood trauma with religion or just ways in which our society uses religion to push folks out towards the margins. So this was a really good episode as far as um, identity versus faith. Uh, So I hope that you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Them Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Aaron, he, him, he is, and I will be your guide throughout this journey on the show. This show is a platform where trans men of color voices will be amplified as we share our stories. Trans men of color are not monolithic. What that means is our journeys are not the same. We come from different backgrounds. We have different stories, family relations, chosen family, and most of all, we have different transition journeys. Visibility equals possibility. I like to say that all the time. We like to highlight on this show trans men of color businesses and entrepreneurs, parents, athletes, survivors, and many other issues and topics that are relatable to trans men of color in our existence. Them Boys Podcast is not only a platform to amplify our voices, but to raise awareness and conversation around our lived experiences. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting, listening, and sharing the show. Welcome to Them Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Aaron, he, him, he is. And my next guest is a spiritual care practitioner, a writer, and the co-host of Faith from the Margins Podcast. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. Yes, definitely. Would you like to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Andres Herrera. I'm a trans man who lives in Chile. I am originally from Chile, but I have lived in many places throughout South America and also in the U.S. I did live for a couple of years in Florida and then South Carolina, and then Texas. I'm also, like Sean was saying, a spiritual care practitioner. I provide spiritual support for LGBTQ people. And also I work in communications and marketing. Oh, nice. Sounds sounds great. I cannot wait to dive into the spirituality aspect of this. Um, so uh, first I'd like to ask you, though, how did the name Andres, how did that choose you? Well, that's a a great question. I think when I was picking a name, I was also looking at, you know, names in my family. There were several names that I liked, but there were people in my family who already had a name. Um, And then throughout my life, I had a really good friend who was named Andres. I mean, I lost contact with him many years ago when I was in middle school, but he was a good friend during that time. Um, 
And I think that stayed with me. Um, and at some point, I wanted to choose a name that was that could be used in English and Spanish. But then I moved away from that and I said, okay, I'm just going to choose a name that that resonates with me and my culture and my language, which is my like native language, which is Spanish. So basically that's how I picked it. But I went through a whole period of this, like trying names and trying to figure it out until I landed on Andres. Love that. I know a few people named Andres. I think that's a, um, I really like the name. I've, I've noticed that the folks that I know that have that share that same name are, are great people. Thank you. Personalities. Yeah. I mean, in the U.S., a lot of people think it's Andre, which is the closest that it can sound. Um, and or Andreas, which is kind of like a Greek version of it. Mm. But they all mean the same. I mean, they all come in English. The closest will be Andrew. So that's mm. basically where the, the, the translation would be Andrew in English is the same as Andres in Spanish. Uh, I think also it's the it's the spelling. So from our mm -hmm. pronunciation of the A and the N, that's how we know other words to sound. So I think yes. just instead of asking, which is what we <laughs> should be doing, is asking folks. Because even before this, right, I asked you, like, how do you pronounce your name? How do you prefer your name to yeah. be pronounced? Right. So I think that's very, very important. And so tell us um, your transition story from beginning to where it is now. So you can start from anywhere that you would like. You don't have to go to like, you know, from birth or, but wherever you feel is most comfortable. Um, please share with us your, your transition. Sure. Well, thank you for the question. I mean, I think throughout my life, I always knew that I was different, that I was, you know, I am the oldest child. Um, I don't have any sister. I only have brothers. But I always like, you know, playing soccer or playing with transformers or toys that you would consider more stereotypically masculine. Um, and, you know, through my teenage years, I also was trying to figure out who I was in terms of sexuality and identity, but I didn't know other trans people and I didn't even know there were trans people out there. So I didn't really have language to express that um, until I was starting college. I was living in Venezuela. I was in my freshman year of college. And a friend at the time, a friend who was in the US, sent me this page. Um, I don't know if you knew this platform called LiveJournal. Um, it doesn't really exist anymore. So it was like a place where you could journal or you could like online or you could join groups. So this person sent me like this link to a group there that was trans men, mostly from the U.S. who were like sharing their stories and sharing their experiences. Um, and once I saw that, I, I was like, oh, this is me. And this is the this. Finally, I have some language to explain this. Um, but of course, I was not living in the U.S., so I didn't really know anyone in Venezuela who was trans or where to go to find support. So that took some time to figure that out, but I was able to start my transition there slowly, um, socially, and then medically um, in, in Venezuela uh, with a lot of support. You know, I was 
a freshman in college and I was, of course, anxious about sharing this with my friends. They, I think I was the first trans person that they knew and the first trans person that was kind of publicly transitioning in college. Um, so I was very blessed that I had a group of people that were open-minded and were supportive. Um, that really made a big dif difference in me continuing to study and continuing to do that. And my family was always supportive. I think they had a lot of questions. They were concerned, I think, mostly about medically transitioning and what that would mean. And um, they thought I was too young to make some of those decisions. I was 19, 20 when I started the process. Um, and again, you know, they didn't know any other families who had a son who was trans or any other people who had any family member who was trans. So I think it's also, it was probably lonely for them as it was for me in some aspects. You know, I would go to some of the LGBTQ groups and I was usually the only trans man in the group. Um, and that has changed, you know, that has changed with time now here in Chile and in other parts of South America, you know, the trans community is growing a lot more and is much more visible than when I was when I started the process. So basically, that's very a, a summary of, of my transition. Um, I it mostly happened in Venezuela and then the legal process was complicated. There was no laws at that time in Chile about how to change your birth certificate and that. So it took a while to, to do that process, but I was finally able to legally do that. Um, and that was probably the last piece of all the things that I did. You know, in the US people usually do that first, like you can change your name, at least it's, it seems to be easier there depending on the state. But here it was it was backwards. It was probably the last thing that I was able to do because there were no laws at the time um, to regulate how you could do that. I think I was like the seventh person in Chile who went through that process at that time. Now there's a law and now it's much easier to do that. But when I did it in 2010, the Basically, you had to kind of sue yourself, which sounds crazy, but yeah. that was kind of the process. You had to, you had to have a lawyer. You had to sue, kind of, not yourself, but in a way yourself. And you had to have witnesses that knew you with this name. A lot of things that were very unnecessary, but since there was no law, that was the way to go about it. I know here and well, I'm in California, so I can only speak to my experience, but I know here it's kind of the same way. I don't know if the, you could put it in the same terms of suing yourself, but you do have to make it a public record. So you have to say, hey, I'm going to change my name. You have to let everybody know. So it's kind of like they want to make yes. sure you're not running away from debt collectors yes. and responsibilities and all this other stuff that you have that's tied to your name, your 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 birth yes. name. So it's kind of like the same process of like giving everybody a notice and it's not like a secret name change. You have to like, you know, let everybody know it's public record, yes. all that type of stuff. So it's kind of similar. Um, so my question is, when you when you were studying in college originally, was um, spirituality or was that the, what you were going to college to study? 
Not really. I think, I mean, I find it really interesting. I, I didn't grow up in a very religious family. I mean, I think the majority of people in Latin America will probably identify themselves as Catholic. That's changing, of course. You know, Protestants are growing a lot and other religions are also growing a lot in Latin America. But my family would probably at that time said we were Catholics, but we were not really involved in church. Like it was not like we would go to church every week or even like on Christmas. So we were more culturally Catholic, I would say, because we were not really at all participating in church and religion or God or spirituality was not like a big topic of conversation in my family. So when I was in college, I was studying journalism. I always liked writing and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I wanted it to be connected to writing. So that's why I decided to study journalism. And in that time, you know, I started college, I started my transition um, at around the same time. Uh, it was finally when I felt that I had some space to explore other things. Like most of my life, I, all the energy that I had was related to figuring out my gender identity, figuring out how to live this life as, a, as my truest self. So I never really gave space or energy to spirituality or faith. And also from what I knew from the Catholic church, I was like, they're not gonna accept me as a trans person. So I'm not gonna even bother in, in just going into this space that I already know it won't accept me. The Catholic church in Chile is probably, I mean, it's conservative, very conservative. And Chile as a country is very conservative, even though that has changed, but, in the, you know, Chile was the last country in Latin America to legalize divorce, you know, and this happened in like the 2000s. This, we are not talking about like 30 years ago. I mean, now it's wow. probably 20 years ago, but, you know, before that you could get legally separated, but you couldn't get divorced. Um, and it was, uh, a lot of that had to do with the Catholic church. Um, so, so I never, I was never interested in going into the Catholic church because of that history. Um, so when I was in college, I went to a Baptist church. Of course, this was the first time that I was in any church that I was not Catholic. So I really didn't have an idea of what to expect. I, I didn't know anything about Protestant churches or Baptist churches. Um, but I saw, I quickly, started to realize that that space, that specific space was going to be also conservative and not inclusive of LGBTQ people at that time. Um, so I continue to explore and I've spent many years exploring that because in just in very recent years, we started seeing churches in Latin America that are inclusive and that are affirming of LGBTQ people. So for a long time, I wasn't really sure if I was going to find that space um, because all the churches that I went were very clearly not inclusive and affirming to LGBTQ people. 
Hey, this is Sean Aaron, the host of Them Boys Podcast. Are you enjoying the podcast so far? Great. I'm glad that you are. Would you consider donating today to help support the continuation of this podcast? As you know, this podcast aims to serve as a platform to highlight and amplify the voices of trans men of color and share our transition stories. The podcast not only aims to amplify trans men of color voices, but it also raises awareness around our lived experiences. You would like to donate? Where can you donate? Great. I'm glad that you asked. Link in our description will take you directly to Network for Good, whom we've partnered with in order to collect donations for the podcast. Or you can visit our website. On the website, click the donate button. And from there, you are able to donate directly to the podcast. All donations are tax deductible. What does the donations go to? Oh, I'm glad that you asked. Your donation will help to support our production costs. We are working with Jasmine from Pink Lady Productions that brings you this awesome content. And also, we pay our guests an honorarium. Pay our guests an honorarium? Yes, we do. Why? Because as trans men of color, we would like to support and uplift each other and honor the time that's given out to come here and share their stories. So if you love this podcast, share and donate. See you on the next episode. Take care. I find that very interesting that you said your family uh, was very accepted. So a few things. You first, you said your family was very accepting of you and your transition. And then you also said that your family was socially religious. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm a, and I'm going to take this back to episode 14 with Belly. And we discuss religion and they discuss Mm -hmm. how religious their mother was and how addicted to religion their mother was. And it was the limiting factor that prevented them from loving their child Mm and their transition. Right. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, do you think that your family chose to be loving and accepting because they had more of a disconnect with religion. And this is not to go against folks who have religious parents who are, you know, religious, but to say, do you think that was a factor with your parents and accepting you in your transition? I definitely think that was a factor. I think both of my parents were raised in, I don't know if their homes were very religious, but at least they both went to Catholic school. So, and when they became adults, they really didn't want anything to do with that because they were tired of like going to mass every day or every week and all the religion that they learn in school. Um, so in that sense, I was, I am grateful that they, they didn't use religion or they didn't just religious belief to say, no, we cannot accept. Um, you know, I've met people who are religious who accept their children as trans or as LGBTQ, but like you said, there's a lot of people that because of religious beliefs, a struggle to accept, you know, their 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 children or their friend or their partner as LGBTQ person. I know I've even discussed this too in myself when I first transitioned, or even when before transition and when I first came out as lesbian. Like that was my mother's determinant factor of why she didn't love and accept me because of her what she was taught in church. Yeah. And so that drove me away. And, and that, that brings me back to one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you here is to talk about that, that connection and how we're often scarred as LGBTQ folks of what we've learned and how we know that church is not affirming and not accepting. So it drives us away from spirituality, drives us away from faith, drives us away from church entirely. 
So mm-hmm. I was literally scorned by church. I didn't want anything. I had, I didn't want nothing to do with it. Right. Yeah. And I felt like everything that I learned as a child about loving and being loving thy neighbor and all of these things were false. Mm-hmm. Right. And even when I first came out to my mother and I was homeless for two and a half years, mm-hmm. I that was when I was like, I'm done with church, because from what I've learned, church is supposed to be loving. And I can't even turn to the church. I can't even mm-hmm. turn to the folks that I grew up with or that I love because they're going to turn their backs on me. Right. I felt like the whole world had turned their backs on me. <laughs> so how did you find your path with faith and spirituality and alongside your trans identity? Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for sharing your experience. I think, sadly, that happens to a lot of people that grew up with religious um, families or in a religious community um, in the U.S. and in other parts of the world. Um, And, I mean, I think that a part of that is the role that the leadership of these churches play and how the theology that they share with people can be harmful and also the people that are there, the parishioners that are there, how much um, faith and power they give to their, you know, pastor or their priest. So basically this person is, what this person is telling you is coming from God. So you cannot question this. You cannot think anything different. So I understand where, why this is difficult. You know, if you grew up, learn if a fam if a person grew up hearing these messages that you know this transitioning or being trans or LGBTQ is a sin and then you grew up listening to this all the time it's difficult to question that or challenge that um because this religious authority is telling you this information um for me, I think because I didn't grow up in a religious home and I didn't have all that, I saw faith as, so I wasn't really sure as what. I just wanted to explore it. I, I think I was looking for some sort of purpose, hope, um, meaning in my life. You know, I was starting my transition and that was, I was feeling more complete with myself and more aligned with myself and more at home. I, I use that term a lot because, you know, I moved around living in different parts of the world throughout my life. So this topic of home has always been very important. to me. Um, so I think I was feeling a lot more at home within myself, within my body as I started my transition. And that, Push me to explore faith because I was looking for something more. Um, and I found, you know, that like you said, in the Protestant communities, I learned about a God who was loving, who loved you unconditionally. And I felt really um, moved by that. Like this love, God can love me just as I am. This is what I want from other people. This is what I want from society. Um, and I wanted to share that love with other people. But like you said, you find these contradictions that, you know, these communities are telling you that they're supposed to love you, but then they reject you and they hurt you and they use, you know, the Bible or they use a sacred text to say, this is why we cannot accept you. So 
I started to see, of course, those contradictions very quickly. Like, we love you as the person, but we cannot accept who you are. Um, so I moved away from that. I was like, okay, this space doesn't accept me. I'm going to find another space. But quickly, I started to realize that I, there was no space that I was finding, um, which was difficult. You know, there was a, a point in my life where I was involved in churches, but I didn't want to be open about being trans because I knew that they were going to reject me. And I was struggling with that. With, I, I had been public in other churches and I was rejected for being trans. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to this other church and see how this goes. But then that started to feel very not authentic. You know, I was like, this is not what I want for my life. This is not what I want for my spiritual life. If I, if I am a part of a community, a faith community, I want to be open about who I am and how that relates to my spirituality. Because my story and being trans is also related to my journey into faith and, and God. They cannot just be separated. So that's when I started to look for affirming churches in Latin America and really couldn't find any and decided to go to the U.S. <laughs> so, so when you came to the U.S., did you find a space that was affirming and in connection with your faith? You know, I... I went to South Carolina, which is, of course, not very progressive. <laughs> um, but let me backtrack a little to give some context of how I got there. So after studying journalism and becoming involved in a Christian church and going through this process of trying to figure out how to exist in these spaces as a trans person, I decided to study theology because I was learning all these things about God. And I was also learning all these things that how trans people are sinning or how LGBTQ people are, and are not natural and all these, you know, verses and Bible verses that some churches use to in support this um, message. Um, but I also was feeling very called to be in more of a leadership role. I was like, well, I want to share with people that God does love them and does accept them. And they are, all these other things that people are saying are not true. I didn't really have any theological training to say that, but in my own experience and in my own life, I'm like, this is not true. I'm not going to believe this. I believe that this God is loving and I'm going to stick with that. Um, so I decided to go to a, a seminary in Ecuador. I was living in Ecuador at that time. But of course it was, it was difficult because I, was, I wasn't sure how to enter that space as a trans person or how open I could be there. I was not very open about being trans. And, you know, I recognized that that was also a privilege that I had because I can, I can be seen as a cis person in, the, in this world. And I don't have to give explanations to people unless I want to give explanations to people. So I recognize the privilege there and also... I, I didn't feel completely good about doing that, but I, I wanted to be there to, to learn and then be able to use whatever I learned to kind of dismantle the system in a way from the inside. Um, so I went to seminary and, you know, it's interesting. I had not changed my name and I never, I never hid my name. 
which was a feminine name. It was not, you know, in Spanish, everything is gender <laughs> names and, you know, the way to, you talk to people, everything is gender. So it was interesting. I was like, well, I'm going to do it anyway and see what happens. So I went to seminary. And then, of course, when I finished this program, I was like, well, I don't know what to do next because I cannot find a church that would accept me as a trans person. So that led me to find opportunities in the U.S. So I had a friend who talk, told me about chaplaincy. I, I had never heard of chaplains because chaplaincy is not very common in Latin America like you find in the U.S. Like in the U.S., you go to a hospital and there's likely a chaplain that will visit you or like if you are in like the army or some type of armed force, there you will meet chaplains also. Um, so in here in, in Latin America, we do have chaplains in the army and in the police, but it's very rare that people know that the chaplain exists or what they do. And, and if they do see a chaplain, they immediately think he's a Catholic priest and that's it. We don't know what he does, but he's Catholic. <laughs> um, so I, I decided to go and apply for a program to learn how to be a, cha a hospital chaplain. Um, most of the programs in the U.S. are very progressive. Um, the chaplaincy programs are very progressive. They're very welcoming to LGBTQ people who are in ministry. And they also welcome people from other religions that are not Christians. So that's why I decided to go there. I was like, okay, I'm going to apply to these programs openly as a trans person and see what happens. Um, so that's how I ended up going to South Carolina to do a train, to, to do training as a chaplain in a hospital there. Um, and that's when I started to look for a church. There's like tons of churches in South Carolina, like every blog, there's like five churches. Uh, but of course, like, like you were saying, you can kind of quickly learn if they are progressive or more conservative. Uh, and that's why, why I appreciated when churches have like visible signs that they are progressive or inclusive or affirming because that makes it easier. I don't have to waste time in going to a lot of services and going to meet a lot of people to figure out if you're going to accept me or not. If you have some information in your church or your website or your social media that gives me some kind of idea, that's helpful. So that's basically what I did. I just visited lots of churches until I found a church where I saw that there were other LGBTQ people openly living their lives and being accepted and being loved and being able to be a part of the community just like anyone else. So what would be your advice to someone listening who says, I'm trans-identified or I'm part of the LGBTQ plus community but I really want this relationship, this faith relationship. I really want to be in, in connection with God or with my faith. What would be your advice to that person? For me, a, a big thing is we all have the right to explore our spirituality. That's something that we want. And spirituality, and I'm choosing the term spirituality, not religion on purpose. Because um, religion can be based on, you know, uh, organized religion is an institution 
with a set of beliefs that you have to be a part of and you have to believe those things. Um, and that can work for a lot of people. I'm part of like organized religion. I also work for a church. So I am in that system. But for other people, that might not be what is meaningful or what is important to them. Or it might be a mix. You know, I know a lot of people that embrace different forms of religion or different forms of spirituality. And that's also um, an option. That's also a, a way that you can um, live your spirituality. So I think for me, it's important that people can feel free to explore whatever spirituality or religion they want to explore as trans people or as LGBTQ people. And my advice would be to, if you are in a specific city or state, you know, now with the internet, it's easy to look up for like affirming churches or inclusive churches in your area. Or you can even on social media, you know, there's a lot of groups, you know, that you can you start a conversation with people and ask them questions about specific churches or specific communities. Um, and another way that can be less intimidating also is you can watch online, you can look for what, what are the services that they're having that week or that day and just watch online and see what how the service is, what are they talking about, what are the messages that they're sending, um, and that usually will give you enough information to say, okay, this is worth it to visit in person or to connect with them more or not. Um, and I think for me, it's also, I, if you see that the LGBTQ people in the community are visibly involved in this church and in, in places of leadership in this community, that will be a sign for me that this is a truly welcoming space. Because sometimes it's like, oh, yes, we support LGBTQ community. And then you go there and there's like no LGBTQ people in it, in this church. Um, so I think if you, for example, if they have a specific LGBTQ group or if you see them involved in like social justice causes that are connected to like trans rights or um, other LGBTQ issues, those could also be ways to say, okay, this is a community that is connecting with more or learning about. Oh, that's that's very good. I'm so glad that you mentioned that that you use the word spirituality versus religion. I was going to ask you that question too, of like we use it interchangeably, but like what is the the difference between the two? So I'm glad that you. Um, you touched on that. I was going to say that I haven't I it, it was been it has been many years since I've gone to church and I was I was pretty much scorned about church. Mm -hmm. But I and it's hard. Right. When you have those messages ingrained into your mind, it's hard to pull them out yes. one by yes. one into standing your truth and your identity at the same time with integrating in with faith and religion. And I found a church that I, I have been attending over the oh, I'm not a don't don't you know don't think i'm not an every sunday type of person but i'm a when i feel like it when the spirit leads yeah. me i have attended a church here in the bay area we're well, here in richmond actually called new revelation community church and they and the the pastor there is queer 
Mm-hmm. And so they they consider themselves radically inclusive. Mm-hmm. And so whoever you are, whatever you are, come. And so yes. their doors are open to anyone. And I've and ever since the first day I stepped into this church, I felt welcome. Mm-hmm. I felt the love and just and just to know first off that the pastor is queer is the first yes. thing, right? And so it's it's so it's important to find spaces like that. And I love how you said that you can go watch the church online. Technology is good in some ways. Yeah, I think, I mean, especially if you're not, if you're like more of an introverted person or like you get anxious about like being with new people or being in a new space, or it might be like the first time that you are in a church or in a fake community that you don't really know how things work. You don't really know what to expect. Uh, then watching online can give you an idea of, you know, how long the service uh, lasts. What do they do? What is important for these people? Do they have like a very long message? Do they have like communion or not? And also, I want to say that there also are LGBTQ inclusive faith communities from like Jewish communities, Muslim communities other religions. I mean, I'm talking from a Christian perspective because I am a Christian and that's the spaces that I have more information about and kind of the world that I move in. But I do know people from other religions that have also faith communities that are inclusive to LGBTQ people. So they exist. Sometimes it's harder to find that information or if you're in like a very small or maybe like a very rural place, is more challenging, but usually now, at least in the US in big cities, you can find for like the main main religions, you will find LGBTQ inclusive and affirming faith community. Hey, this is Sean Aaron. I'm the founder and executive director of Them Boys Inc. I am also the host of Them Boys Podcast. As you may know, Them Boys provides financial assistance to trans men of color in order for them to obtain gender affirming surgery. We have great news. We're currently looking for volunteers to help support our programs. Our programs include our gender affirming surgery grant program and also our personal care package program. We personally curate packages filled with personal hygiene items, just to name a few things like tissue, soap, towels, toothpaste, and toothbrushes. We mail them out to trans men of color across the country who may be in need of help caring for their personal hygiene needs. We are looking for volunteers to help raise funds to support our programs. Also, we're looking for someone locally to the Bay Area to help us put all of the care packages together. If our mission is something that resonates with you and you would like to help support our work, just let us know. You can send an email to hello at themboys.org. That is H-E-L-L-O at D-E-M-B-O-I-S dot org. And we will get back to you with further details. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy the next episode. So how has um, your spirituality helped to shape your masculinity? Hmm. Well, I think for me, spirituality and, you know, when you said um, I... I don't go to church every Sunday. And I think spirituality has to be life-giving. If if it's like restricting you and you're feeling burdened and guilty or, you know, bad about yourself, I think, you know, we have to revise that spirituality or reframe that spirituality. 
I'm not saying sometimes we are not going to feel challenged by, you know, spirituality or like, you know, a pastor can preach a message that can be challenging, but in a good way, challenging that is moving you towards something or confronting you to, with something that you need to work on, which is different than, you know, making you feel bad or guilty or like not worthy. Um, but I always encourage people to, to look at their beliefs that way. Like, is this life giving to me or this is like this limiting me, restricting me in any way? Um, and that can help, help us to reframe our beliefs. You know, we can change them. We don't have to stay, we can, you know, we grow, we change, we evolve as people. We can also change our beliefs and opinions about spirituality or faith. So um, in terms of masculinity, I think it's, you know, it's very interesting. A long time ago, I read, I think when I was in seminary, and this was like in 2010, I don't know. I read that it's very difficult for churches to reach men. Um, it, it seems, and I don't have the statistics now or the studies, but it seems that to reach women, it, it, it was easier in, in a way for, for faith communities than reaching men. Um, and I think for, I mean, we, we see it all the time around us, this toxic, toxic masculinity. Um, and even in churches, you see these messages of, you know, you have to be strong. You have, you cannot like, you have to be the provider. It's still this, very restrictive roles of what it means to be a man or masculinity or manhood. You still see a lot of that in some churches that are very, you know, this very binary way of seeing men and women. Um, so I think for me, in terms of spirituality, I'm always trying to, to nurture that part of me that is more tender. Like, I don't want this toxic masculinity. I want more of a tender masculinity. Um, that you can show emotion, that you can cry, that you can feel other things that are not anger. Um, I was talking with someone recently about this, about how men usually the only accepted em emotion to express is anger and everything else is, it cannot be expressed. And I'm not saying we shouldn't express anger. I think, the, of course, there are many reasons to express, but to allow ourselves to express other things. Even as trans men, I think, at least when I was growing up, you know, at the beginning of my transition, it was easier to, to want to copy these stereotypes of masculinity because that's really all that I had to say, okay, this is what, what it means to be masculine or what it means to be a man. But then I started to embrace the experiences that I learned through my transition of being a person that can be caring, that can be nurturing, that can be tender, that has a side, that side that I can also express and it doesn't make me any less of a man than any of the, the other men. So I, I find that important in terms of spirituality, like to care for others in that way, in a tender way, but also to care for yourself in that way, um, in a tender way. I love that. 
I, I think that's that's hard too though right that's yeah. really really hard and i think as i get older i'm realizing that a little bit more and i'm allowing myself a little bit more grace and a little bit more tenderness and sometimes when i do stuff and i'm like oh how are folks going to view my masculinity i have to t- i have to remind myself it doesn't matter it doesn't change who i am you know if i uh, do this or I do that or if I cry or if I like flowers, damn it, I do like flowers. <laughs> and I can say that I could be masculine and still be tender in that way to flowers are not just for women, right? Yeah. Or feminine identified folks is for whoever liked them, right? They were put on this earth for anyone to enjoy. So it's like, it's really hard to kind of like unpack all of that stuff that has been, it's, that's not ours, right? This yeah. is stuff that been taught or been said and it's not our it's not our baggage to carry so it's about being who you want to be and feeling comfortable in your own body however that may be right so you are the uh co-host of faith from the margins podcast want to share a little bit about that a little bit more sure thank you um so i work at a church that is called St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. And I'm not in Houston, I'm in Chile, so I work remotely, but I visit them often. Um, and I'm working towards maybe coming back to the U.S. in some way or form. So the podcast started in the pandemic. Um, we had never done anything like that before. Um, there are not many churches that I know in the Episcopal Church that have podcasts. Um, and St. Stephen's has always been historically known for fighting for LGBTQ people um, and very involved in social justice in different ways. So the idea of the podcast and why it's called Fight from the Margins was to, uh, to talk about those of us who are oppressed or marginalized, but also have faith, <laughs> different types of faith. Um, most of the people that have been in the podcast have been Christians, but we've had some other people who don't identify with any religion. And, you know, we've been trying also to, to share other stories from people from other faith traditions. But basically that's the, the, the idea of the podcast. We discuss a lot of topics from like race, um, gender, um, we talk about, for example, the last episode, we were talking about repairs and reparations and the role of churches behind that. Uh, so we try to really discuss a mix of topics that are related to this intersection of race, identity, gender, and faith. So thank you for, for asking about it. Yeah, of course. I, I think when we think about colonization and all of that, faith had faith and religion is a big part of that. Yes. And and a lot of times, even with uh, op- oppressive things to oppress folks, faith has been used and yes. it has been used as a power di- in the power dynamic. And it's like just like you had said earlier about. This is what the pastor says, preacher says, and people give that so much power yes. because they're ultimately delivering a message from God. But what folks fail to realize is we don't necessarily this is just my own opinion. Right. But we don't necessarily need that. If you want to answer from God or from your faith or from spirituality, you can freely go get that answer for yourself. You don't need someone yes. to give you that answer. Um, so I think that's very powerful to say that, especially the, you said the last episode about, 
repair and reparations. I think that's very yeah. important. Uh, I think um, faith and religion ties heavily to breaking that down, really. Um, yes. Like you said, I mean, religion has been used um, to oppress people. Like when, when the first people came to the U.S. or came to, for example, to Latin America, they brought their religion. They brought Catholicism here. We didn't have Catholicism here before, and we didn't necessarily need it. <laughs> but it was used as a tool to oppress people, and it's still used, like you said, in many ways to oppress people. Um, and also, you know, people don't really know. Um, like I feel like in another, in a lot of churches, people don't really have the space to question their pastor or their priest because they feel that this person is, you know, God themselves. And like you said, you know, we should be able to question things that we don't agree with or to question it, to understand it more and to learn more where this comes from. There's many ways to interpret the Bible or there's many ways to interpret different texts, not only one way. So I'm always very cautious when someone is saying this is the message that they receive from God, because this is the interpretation that you are giving to this message that you are receiving. Um, but, you know, we are human. We are not perfect people. So they, you can make mistakes in that interpretation of, of the message that you are receiving. And I agree with you. I think um, we all can access our own spirituality directly. You know, spirituality can be connected to um, a superior being, to the divine, but it can also be connected to how you relate to yourself or to others or to nature. All those things can be also part of spirituality. So there's an open invitation there to explore it as, as however you would like to do that. That's, that's so good about interpretation because four people can read the same scripture, same text, and we all get a different interpretation from it. And sometimes the interpretation that somebody is relaying the message to you may not have been the message for you. That may have been the message for them. And it's risky to, to just open a text and literally say this is what the bible says because there's a context of when that book was written the culture of those people and why it makes sense to them you know it's, it's not the same you cannot not apply it to our reality because it's a completely different reality you cannot just apply it the same way or when when certain churches choose and pick you know this verse we're going to interpret literally because it's to our advantage but this other verse, we're not going to interpret literally because it's not to our advantage. So that's also not, you know, that's not how it's supposed to be. If you're going to interpret it literally, you should interpret everything literally, not just what is convenient to you. Yes, so, so good. I think that's a big part of why we have um, all these issues with religion. You know, there's different ways to interpret scripture. And, you know, for a long time, I, I was like, well, I'm going to study all this theology and Bible to be able to fight back with all this knowledge about how you are wrong and how you should interpret differently. But through, the, through time, I'm like, you know what? I don't really need to do that. 
I don't really need to tell people all the time, like, no, that is not the way to interpret this passage, or you have to look into all these other contextual things. I think um, for me, I mean, the thing that has worked the best with people who use the Bible or use religion in that way is to say, well, let's look at Jesus. And Jesus was always welcoming and living and being in spaces with all the oppressed people from the society of his time. Like, that's what Jesus did. He was all the time with people who were oppressed or marginalized and never discriminated against them, never told them that they were sinners or they were going to be in hell for whatever they did. So if we can follow that example, then our belief, our religion should be loving and welcoming of all people and not wanting to discriminate people. That is so good. So going back, <clears throat> excuse me, going back to the podcast, where can folks um, listen to the podcast? Well, we have a website that is called faithfromthemargins.com. And we are also on Instagram at faithfromthemargins. And people can uh, keep up with what we're doing there. So to, to kind of wrap this all up and give it a little context, the gist of all of this is that LGBTQ people have a right and can still be who they are and have faith. And spirituality is that correct yes yes i think for me like we were talking some people who have been hurt by fake communities because of being lgbtq they don't think there's a space for them anymore so they move away completely from faith or religion or spirituality because they have been hurt really bad uh but it still remains an important part of their lives or something that they would want to reconnect with. They just don't know that there's the possibility of doing that. So my invitation is that if, if, if you have been in that process that you want to reconnect or you want to explore your faith, your spirituality, then know that there are spaces where you can do that, that will be safe and where you will be loved and you will be accepted. and you can be involved, you know, I know a lot of people who are pastors who are LGBTQ now, like you were saying, um, or who are involved in different levels of organized religion, who are part of the LGBTQ community. And that's also important that people know that if that's something that they want to do, there's others who are doing that and who have um, kind of made that way possible. Yes, I love to say that visibility equals possibility. Mm -hmm. So when you see it, yeah. you know that it's possible and, and it can be for you as well. Um, so this is the part of the show where I like to ask the guests a random question. Um, I have a, a growing list now of 31 <laughs> questions. I just wow. added the 31st question the other day. And so <laughs> what I would like for you to do is pick a number between one and 31, whatever question, it may or may not have anything to do with what we, what we talk uh -huh. about. I'm going to pick 14. 14? Yes. Okay. 14 <laughs> is, hmm, what is something you attempted to do, but stopped because you found it too challenging? Oh, wow. Um, 
you know, I still struggle with being like a morning person. I'm not a morning person. I, and I try to be a morning person. And a lot of my jobs have forced me to be a morning person. Uh, and I do see the fen- benefits a lot of times. Um, I don't know if that I have failed at it. I continue to try that. But this is connected to something that I am working on. It's meditation. I don't do meditation very often. But the times that I do do it, I enjoy it. And I try to do like these short meditations that are usually guided. Because if they're not guided, I'll just get like lost in all my thoughts and like random things. And then I don't feel that it really works. So I've been trying to do more of them because um, I I had pursued that at different points in my life and found it challenging because it was too long or because it was not guided and I was like, okay, what is happening? I'm falling asleep. <laughs> this is not supposed to happen. Um, so just trying to, I find it meaningful as a spiritual practice. So I'm trying to do more of that and finding types of meditations that work for me that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be this very long meditation, but at least a space in my day that I can feel grounded and then it can help me to move on into the other things that I have to do. Love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm not a morning person either. Yeah. I, I'm glad. I work at night specifically for that reason. Don't act, don't call me at seven, eight, nine <laughs> o'clock in the morning because I will not answer. Anytime after 11, we're good. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone. Yeah. So Andres, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate it. Everything you said was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity and feel free to reach out for anything. I'm always available and here. Take care. So we have reached the end of this episode. I want to say thank you for listening to Them Boys Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Sean Aaron, he, him, his. Be sure to visit our website at themboys.org. That is D-E-M-B-O-I-S dot org. If you would like to connect with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. If you think you would be a great guest on the show, or if you know somebody you think would be a great guest on the show, there's multiple ways to request to be a guest on the show. First is you can go visit our Instagram page, click the link in our bio. And from there, you'll be able to request to be a guest on the show. Or you can visit our website, click the programs tab up top, scroll down to podcast, click the podcast button. And from there on the podcast page, you'll be able to request to be a guest on the show. Yo, we need questions, y'all. If you have those burning questions, a question that you want to ask me or a future guest on the show, there's multiple ways that you can send in questions, right? So first, you can go to Instagram, DM us that question, or you can email us at hello at themboys.org. That's H-E-L-L-O, like hi, at themboys.org. Be sure to like the show. Be sure to share this show out with your friends and other folks in your networks. So until next time, take care.